Welcome to Driving Change. We're honest, we're out loud, we're making an impact. This is a podcast about acknowledging our past, staying present, and recovering our future. My name is David Peck. Join me as we engage with activists, filmmakers, actors, and agents of change as we explore our relationship with the world around us and how we can all make a difference. Driving Change is your go-to podcast for fun and insightful conversations about making the world a better place. It's content that cares. Build. Act. Create. Welcome to Driving Change. I can't wait to introduce you to my three next guests. This is episode two that we're calling Lifting Expectations. My Zaid, Karen Craigs-Milne, and Hilary Caldwell join me on this episode to talk about a new film called Lift Like a Girl. Uh, and what's exciting about this is that the, the, the film is going to be in theaters uh, North America-wide July the 9th, so so look for that. Uh, it's, it's a moving and compassionate uh, story about a young woman who is making her way, we hope, towards the Olympics. And so uh, these three women who are doing important work uh, of various kinds uh, gathered on this episode with me on Driving Change to talk about gender and and, and bias and and, and community and about building bonds and about how uh, life is challenging without a doubt, but things are changing and things are evolving. And what what does it actually mean to be fit and and, and, and strong and, and muscular and empowered to not only you know, in, in a literal sense, but in a metaphoric sense as well. And so we, we talked about this idea of, of, of reclaiming, not only reclaiming language, but about, about pushing back uh, against the system and against the status quo to see change take place. You're going to love uh, the interview. We had so much fun as well, uh, which I hope you're going to sense and you're going to be able to step into that uh, part of the conversation with us. And, and so, so don't forget it, it. It is coming soon to a theater near you. We can say that again. And please, if you're listening on uh, Spotify or Acast or Google or Amazon or wherever you're listening, please subscribe to Driving Change. It's important for us. And you can learn more about the Impact Series at theimpactseries.net. And, you know, if you want to help and you want to step into this on, a, on an impact level, uh, lift like a girl film.com. Check that out. And don't forget, lift like a girl is going to be in cinemas on July the night. Stay tuned. Well, welcome to Driving Change. We are so glad you uh, made it. Uh, this is episode two. We have uh, three very special guests here with us today to talk about a whole lot of issues, but also about a film called Lift Like a Girl that's going to be uh, opening, I think, in Cairo in uh, the very near future. We have the director here with us, Mai Zaid, uh, to talk about uh, a whole lot of things. We have Karen Craigs-Milne here to talk about her work. And of course, we have uh, Hillary Caldwell. You've already heard my intro, I would imagine. Hillary Caldwell, Olympic medalist, uh, somebody who likes to spend a great deal of time in the water. And we're going to hear uh, a, a whole lot more about that. Thanks to you all for joining us today on Driving Change. Really appreciate it. So you're, you're calling in from, from Cairo. You're, you, you're in the city. You're waiting yeah, for the film. Cairo. To- you're waiting for the film to to uh, be released in theaters. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found out about this story, provide a little bit of context for our listeners and maybe tell us when you first met Captain the Captain. Tell us tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Okay. Well, you know, the story started uh back in 2003. Um uh, back then I was a teenager. I was 18 years old and I remember one day I was watching the news and I I found out that there is this Egyptian girl called Nahla Ramadan 
who has just won um, the gold medal in the world championships in weightlifting. I was uh, I was so surprised, you know, to know that there are female weightlifters in Egypt, first of all. And second, um, I read, I started reading more about her and how she is training in the streets uh, with her father, who is also her coach, um, and uh, that she has very little resources, yet she could make it to the world championships. And um, like Nahla stayed with me for so many years. And uh, throughout the years, she became a sports icon, um, um, not only to me, but to all Egyptians. And I remember very well when she was competing at the Olympics um, in Athens or in London, um, like all Egyptians, I was so, like, I, I was really cheering for her, praying for her. Um, and yeah, so in a way, um, I became so attached um, to this idea, you know, of, of, of uh pursuing your, your dream, no matter what. Um, and then in 2014, I, I had the chance to meet Captain Ramadan um, in the training site. And I, I found out that uh, he wasn't, like he has been coaching so many women, not, not just Nahla, uh, to be uh, professional weightlifters. And I felt that, wow, okay, I really want to spend more time in this place. And I want to film uh, the captain. And I want to film uh, the girls. And, and then... After, you know, after some time, I realized that it would be great to just follow one girl in her journey to, you know, to, um, to pursue her dream. Um, yeah. And, and so that I can, you know, in a way I can make a film that can inspire, you know, other young girls the way that I was inspired by Nahla's story. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's so great, Maya. There's so many questions I have for you, to, you know, and, and we'll get back to them, I'm sure. But I do want to talk to you about, did you ever imagine that you would be, you know, in Cairo, uh, presenting the film at a theater, doing a Q&A in the next 24 hours? I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. Congratulations, too, by the way, on the film. It's, it's beautiful. It's moving. It's, it's everything I think it needs to be to, 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 to challenge us all, right, to, to, to have... To, to step into these conversations, but also to act. And I think that's a, that's a marvelous thing. So th- thanks for, for making the time Four four years in the making. Yes. Uh, six years, actually. Six four years. years filming, six years uh, in total. Yeah. Wow. Six years in total. Wow. And th- a- this year, 2021 is the seventh year. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're keeping track. I don't, I don't blame you at all. Uh, Karen, question for you are, you know, as a, as a, after 20 years of, of working in, in so many sectors and, um, working as a, and I think you would probably italicize this, but as a gender equality a- expert, are you surprised that there are women who are actually weightlifting in, 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 in a country like Egypt? Is that a surprise to you still in this? What are we, the 21st century now? Well, I would say that I was less surprised and more inspired by the evidence of change and progress that this story tells. And, um, you know, there's so many things I love about the, the movie and the story. One of them is showing changing times and showing that happening in a broader social context that has been very male dominated and within a sport that has been male dominated. Uh, but showing that, you know, it doesn't have to stay that way and it isn't staying that way. It's evolving. And another piece that's so beautiful, and I think that applies to many people in Egypt and beyond, is the role of male champions and role models and partners for women and gender equality. So I just think it, it's 
it's inspiring more than surprising. And I think ultimately it challenges our ideas of the MENA region and, you know, the perception that women are oppressed in that part of the world, because that's also a stereotype that we need to unpack, which this sure. movie does. Please. So, yeah, ch- challenging stereotypes and kind of uh, um, smashing those idols almost in a sense. Hillary, uh, you, you've spent a lot of time in, in, in the sports world, uh, medalist, um, a deep, clearly a deep love and passion for competing and swimming and so on. Can, can you talk a little bit about your experience, uh, you know, as a woman stepping into that? Is, did you find that you were up against barriers that perhaps a, a male swimmer wouldn't have been up against? Is that something fairly common, would you say, or, or, or not so much in your experience? I think it's interesting that in, I think in some sports, for sure, I think swimming is probably one of the sports that there's a little bit more equality in that it's not like one of the sort of marquee sports, a soccer or a, uh, that, that where a tennis or a, where you're really seeing like men be the real stars and the women really have to push themselves into that conversation. Um, and, and definitely for pro sports in North America, we see that as being a very male-dominated thing in, in hockey and football and baseball and basketball. And the women's aspect of that is very much a second tier, never really on TV, never. You don't hear about these women, female sports heroes the same way. Um, and swimming is less like that in that the main time people watch swimming is at the Olympics and the focus is kind of equally on both. And when there's a good race, there's a good race. So I didn't necessarily experience much in the way of like, well, my earning potential or my ability to gain recognition or fame or success was impeded by my being female. And there's also a lot of different aspects, I think, when you're an athlete in general, that through kind of high school and and growing up and you're sort of battling between being fit and strong and muscular and successful in sport, which is historically a male dominated thing to be and there is a huge attrition rate for young women in sport all through especially through those teenage years as they sort of reconcile what matters to them and what they should be versus what they want to be and I think in weightlifting I'm sure that's a huge thing in that you really are going to be big and muscular and stronger than the boys and I think historically we don't expect that of women um, and girls so there is there is this inequality in, in who decides to push through in sport and, and who has heroes in sport to look up to. And so many more boys have that. Um, and I will say swimming is a rare one in that men and women train and compete kind of together. Um, so so I maybe so maybe I mean, I mean, Karen is the is the academic is the is the teacher instructor professor and in you saying, hey, maybe there's some lessons here to be learned. <laughs> is is that possible that that maybe it's time to do a, a, an audit <laughs> of this part of you know what I mean? Like, is, is that a possibility? Well, I think whether it's in uh, the field of science and technology or whether it's in sport or whether it's in car racing, whatever it is. Uh, even nursing, like let's look at the other side of it. There are right. there are gendered 
occupations, gendered sports, uh, gendered, you know, organization of life in general uh, in different ways. And so for me, the opportunity is why? Why do we automatically assume that a girl doesn't belong in this sport or a boy doesn't belong in this sport or in this profession or cooking or cleaning? And so, the you know, it's even broader than just teaching. I think it's about deconstructing those social norms and expectations that hold us back from trying things that could be amazing or supporting people that we love who want to do things that are non-traditional. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to come back to that sort of that systemic edge to that because it's so, it comes out in so many ways. You know, you think that you're, I don't know, uh, enlightened, woke, I mean, use whatever sort of language you want. And then you can be sitting around and a cliche rolls off your tongue. Whoa, that that where did that come from, right? And and I think there's this sense of we we just I don't know I just wish we could all listen to one another a little bit more and and I think that's something I've you know as as I think driving change I think that's kind of what we're hoping this is going to be about the impact series and 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 by the way folks a little shout out don't forget to to sign up for the podcast and where where you listen to podcasts and and uh, please uh, leave it leave us a little review and, and and sign up for our newsletter as well on the impactseries.net. But yeah, the, 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 where it makes its way in, right, those systemic barriers, I continue to be astounded by that. And I have a great deal of hope. And, and I think, my, what's so beautiful about Lift Like a Girl is I, it's such a hopeful story. I'm not going um, um, to you know, tip the ending sequence, but the last 90 seconds of the film are just beautiful and subtle and just so meaningful. So again, well, well done on that. Did you ever think you might call it lift like a woman, the film? Did that ever um, cross your mind? No, not really. Uh, I remember choosing this title um, very early on. Um, and it was always lift like a girl because, you know, because we start with Zabiba and she's a 14 year old girl. And I really wanted, you know, to capture this journey and, uh, and I think like a girl as, a, as, a, as an expression itself is very, um, is very insulting in a way to like, or used in a way that it is insulting to women. And I kind of wanted to use it for the title, you know, um, because, you know, um, that was my, my take on it, you know, that I will use it and I want more people to use it in a positive way, you know, like, you know, that uh, girls can do anything, um, so that was initially my idea, and it, it it never it never really crossed my mind that I would na- name it uh, "Live Like a Woman." One one of the things that comes out in the film, and I hope I'm not tipping too much here, my, but um, the phrases, and I'm sure as you know, on an editorial level, you left them in for good reasons. But those phrases of "Come on, you know, sort of be a man, live like yeah. a man." Right. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not quite sure what that exactly means. I think I do. But mm-hmm. can you can you mm-hmm. talk about that? Because I think it's connected to the captain as well and and how he coaches and how he trains. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? And I'd love to hear what Karen and Hillary have to say as well on this. Yeah, you know, I, I noticed, uh, which is something that I've always noticed, that there is a big gender bias in language and that's not only in Arabic, that's in all languages, you know, and, um, and I, I, I found it, I found it strongly, you know, among the girls themselves. And I was so surprised by how they use uh, some terms that, that, that are so sexist, but they use it, uh, use them in a way that, you know, they, I don't know, like for them, 
um, the only way to be strong or, you know, or to be equal to men is to, to be called as men. And, uh, and I felt, you know, that my role as a filmmaker is not to, um, not to judge them in any way or not to try to change anything, but more to, like, to capture the reality as much as I can and then hopefully have the film open this discussion, you know, because then when you put things in front of the audience, like, okay, these are the terms that we use every day. Like, for example, we don't have, we don't have terms to cheer women in sports. Like, uh, like the, the most common phrase to, to be used is, like, be a man. Uh, and that, and sometimes you, people say it unconsciously even. Like, you can be a, a very uh, feminist person, and yet you use a term like this because it's really strongly embedded in the culture. And I really wanted, you know, wanted to, to, to frame these phrases throughout the film and, and just have them so that when the audience watched the film, they realized, oh, but she's a girl. Like, why? Like, why? why? And, and just ask this question, why? Why do we say that? Why is it, like, um, so embedded in us um, that we use these terms? And, uh, and then I felt that, you know, um, the best I can do to Zabiba, you know, after all these people telling her to live like a man is to... To, to name the film Live Like a Girl, you know, uh, so that she always remembers um, what she has to do, you know. That's great. Love it. Uh, Karen, I'd love to hear what you have to say about gender bias and language. Is there a day coming when Lift Like a Girl actually will not mean what it used to mean? I know that's that's a pretty big question, but I'd love to hear a couple thoughts. Hey, I think it's already come. Look at the title of this film. Look at the story. Look at the message. Great. Like, we're love it. here, right? Um, and, and I think, so when we look at socialization as a process, it's a reality. Bias is built into language. It's built into how we navigate the world. It is the way human beings and our brains function. So stereotyping and bias. And I think the most important thing is, number one, recognizing it. And number two, reclaiming language and being intentional. And I love that this film and the story and the intentional use of that title are all about you know, reclaiming and empowering and bringing back and reinterpreting. And that's, you know, to me, that's what it means to be an agent of change. I was going to say feminist, but beyond feminist, to be an agent of change is somebody who looks where the opportunities for power and empowerment and where do we find our own power and agency in that. And this film is just such a beautiful example of the complexity of the project of female empowerment, right? Because here is a man who's making space for a woman and a girl and, and, changing roles and calling people out and championing and and also reproducing the same patriarchy and language and behavior that that holds people back and so it's complex and it evolves with time and it requires us to be conscious and intentional which i love about the title of this movie yeah there there is a great question for it seems to me a, a, an academic program, you know, how, how do, how can we be conscious and intentional? You know, I mean, my background academically is philosophy, as you know, Karen, and, um, but there, there, that, that's something that I think is, a, is an everyday concern, you know, as you get into the car, as you interact with other people, as you get onto a zoom call, how can you be conscious and intentional to not use, you know, biased language and so on. I think it's, uh, uh, I think well, I love that you think though we're already there and that you know it's beautiful. I think it really is beautiful. I love that positivity and and yet we've still got to reclaim. We still have to reinterpret. 
you know, which I think is beautiful. Hillary, in the film, the captain, I love how the captain, for all his idiosyncrasies, I love that he keeps saying, I'm training champions. And I mean, it just speaks to the desire and to the intent and the passion and the commitment. And I watched Zabiba, by the way, Maya, and I just can't believe the amount of effort that's involved in the passion and the commitment to it and worrying about food all the time. And I just, that is not a sport I want to do. That is for sure. Um, Yeah. What what were the lines, Hillary, that you used? Uh, Fit, fit, strong and muscular. I mean, I'm the personification of that really, aren't I? <laughs> there we go. I got some laughter. Sure. That's sure. yeah, thanks, Hillary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, thank you. Dripping with insincerity. I love it. So, Hillary, t- talk to me about your desire. I mean, did you know? Did you know from a very young age that this was something you were going to do, that you were going to kind of, I don't know, change the narrative uh, in your family, in your life, you know, turn the world upside down in a particular way? I'd love to hear about some of that, that focus and compassion. And, 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 and also, um, I guess your desires and your dreams. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of always speak to my Olympic dream, at least kind of coming out of, I was nine years old and I was watching the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And that's the first Olympics I remember watching. Um, and I remember watching the swimming. I was already swimming. I mean, a couple times a week, I was nine. So I wasn't in any way serious at that age, but I remember watching it and wanting to be there and saying, Mm -hmm. well, I'm swimming and I want to do that. And, at nine, I had absolutely no idea what that would entail and what what training <laughs> would need to go into that. You're you just have this naive dream that that looks fun. Let's go it's do not, that. Not just a bathing suit, you mean? You don't need just yeah, a bathing not, suit. Not just a bathing suit in a week or two of training. That's, That's not right. How it works. Um, but yeah, and then from there, I was I was definitely I was okay when I was a teenager. I was not the sort of upstart superstar, and in swimming specifically, we sort of tend to have the odd, very young female sort of superstar who, who comes out of nowhere and they're 15 or 16 years old. And, um, that was not me, uh, as much as I, as much as I wish it was. And I, I was sort of a long slug through those teenage years, pushing, 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 and really wanting it and not necessarily seeing the results that I was, that I felt like I was training for. Um, and, and I think there's, I, I kind of, I can credit a million things for where that pivot happened. And, being surrounded by incredible training partners, I think was a major thing where you start to learn what it takes to be world-class. And, and I think if this is a culture that is happening in Egypt, where the expectation is world-class because that's who you're surrounded by. And it really does drive change for lack of a better phrase there. Sure. But, nice. Nice. But really to, to, to push the needle, you need not just one person, but a culture of it. And we saw it for our our team in Rio, uh, I was going to say four years ago, five years ago now. Um, it was uh, our, our female swim team was incredible. And we won six medals in Rio, all won by women. And uh, a couple relays, a couple female relays, and then a couple individual female medalists. But it became the norm to expect a podium finish. And so that sort of culture and that sort of expectation really does create momentum. And I think momentum's everything for, for success. And, and so I got to be a part of a really incredible team of women and we were the story in Rio. It was not just in swimming kind of in general, the the Canadian women were the ones winning all the medals and definitely in the pool. It was, it was the story and it was pretty cool to be a part of something 
like that. And, and so really to see that kind of ha- being replicated in another capacity with the weightlifting is so cool because I know how powerful that can be. Um, and it starts with one or two and then it becomes mm, good. Yeah. It becomes what's happening. I, and, I, and Hil- Hillary, I love your phrase, a podium finish. That's, that's, I, I don't know that I've, uh, I don't watch a lot of Olympic sports, so I, I've never really heard that before, but it's really, really marvelous for a lot of reasons. My, I have a question for you about that as well. The captain and this desire to push champions. He seems to be really, I mean, there's a moment in the film where he is so focused on the fact he's talking to, uh, I believe a community leader. And he says something about essentially, no, no, we really need to focus on these young women forget about the boys, you know, I just, I just thought that was really interesting. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the captain's sort of, I don't know, shift uh, at some point, like Mm -hmm. how, how did he grow up that way? A man at his age, a part of the system, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by that. And, and, and I'd love to hear more. Well, you know, um, I remember asking him the same question one one day, um, and he he had a very simple yet strong answer, which is like um, he learned by example. Like mm. you know, he had uh, four kids, two boys, two girls, and he trained all of them to be weightlifters. And back then, uh, women in Egypt uh, were not uh, were not playing the sport. So actually, his two daughters. Uh, Nahla and Nagam Ramadan were the first two Egyptian women to play this sport. Uh, so they basically introduced the sport to to the rest of Egypt uh, for for other women to you know to compete in it. And um, and and then uh, you know after training his kids, he realized that his two daughters, uh, one of them is a bronze medalist, uh, junior world champion, and the other one is a gold medalist, uh, world champion. So so for him, it it all started there, like you know and and. From that point, he 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 became an advocate to women's rights in sport, you know, and and he was like, you know, when, whenever he was meeting any parent, any any person passing by the training site, um, he would actually just talk to them in their own language and in in their own culture in a way, just to convince them, you know, to to bring their um, to come to the training site because yeah you know um egypt egypt is a very big country it has big cities like um cairo and alexandria but there are some communities even in these big cities where parents some parents don't even allow their daughters to play sports so so he was really even you know he was trying to 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 reach out to 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 these parents and convince them to bring their kids and I witnessed um, a couple of times that some of these parents brought, ended up bringing their kids or their daughters to train in the training site. So he was very successful in convincing others of what he believes in. And, um, and I really respect him for that. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, you were saying he talks to people as they walk along or he throws rocks at them, which... Uh... <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he, he sometimes yeah when when yeah. when when when, uh, when some people harasses the girls and that happened yeah. um a couple of times i sure. mean in yeah. the film we see that uh once or twice maybe but but in reality it was happening more often well, and, i just um, so love that 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 his method of training seems so i don't know uh punitive and angry you know and yet underneath i just i wonder if there's this you know this comedic 
uh, um, guy who doesn't actually take himself all that seriously. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of the mm-hmm. sense. And I, want, I wondered about that. Karen, the, the, there's this beautiful metaphor that Mai ha, uh, lays out for us in this story of the training site that's just kind of, there are no resources, it seems, right? They've got a few weights. They've got barbells. They've got no plants. Um, there's a gorgeous, wonderful sequence where the captain is is even bricklaying to slowly build this wall to try to, you know, protect the these young women. And it's just really interesting to see the training space grow throughout the film. And it just made me reflect on, you know, the amount, what you can do with very little, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of change that you can push back on. It, is it possible when we're trying to move mountains? I mean, of course, you know, the, uh, the, the gender mountain, the race mountain, the, 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 you know, the sexism mountain, et cetera. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that from sort of starting from the ground up? Where, where do I even begin? That is such a profound question. And you begin with yourself and you begin now and you begin with the people around you. And that's how we change the world. And that's how we move mountains. It literally is that that profound. Uh, and, and I love hearing the story that it started with his own daughters. It often does. It often starts with your own children or your own parents or your own spouse or your own mother-in-law. That's <laughs> right. where it starts. Right? right? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear from any of you on this idea. And I think Hillary touched on it really nicely. I, I can't remember, Hillary, if you used the word community. But you talked about that team effort, the folks, the people, that the coaches, the 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 judges, your family, the the the, the, the fans. I would imagine. Um, where does community fit into this? You know, um, do, do you need to go out and find them, or do they do they kind of find you? Is it a, is it a bit of both? Mike, do you want to start? Th- I'd love to hear from all three of you. Your own your own specialties, your experts, all in your own fields, and I'd love to hear some thoughts on that. Well, you know, for me, what I really noticed is that um, all the parents of the girls training in this training site um, are very supportive to, to their kids. Sure seem and, that way. Um, and yeah, and, and throughout the years we spent there, um, some girls ended up not, not you know, um, like leaving or like um, not continuing to play weightlifting or to compete for weightlifting. And I was always very um, interested in the girls who stayed and in the families that supported them. Um, and, and I wanted, you know, because again, um, you know, w- without having this, all this support, <clears throat> you, you, you will feel alone in a way, but with, with having, you know, the community of, of the parents of, of the teammates, you know, and, um, that, that can really push you through many, many things. And, uh, and I try to capture some of that in the film, you know, even the close relationship that Zabiba and all the girls have with each other, like they are family. And uh, after spending, you know, some years with them, I, I started to feel that I, I, they are my family too. So right. in a way they like just being there, like, you know, um, makes you feel uh, empowered in a way. Yeah. It seemed to me that uh, there was a sense of, uh, authenticity or vulnerability there. And I wonder to what degree just spending so much time together sort of breaks down those barriers. It doesn't always happen really, does it? But in the communities we live in, but um, it is, it is fascinating. Karen, do you think it's about, uh, is it about being real? Is it about being authentic? I mean, that kind of presupposes that you can see those things to begin with, but, but, you know, you said it starts with the individual 
um, do we surround ourselves with with uh, people like Hillary and Mai and Zabiba and yourself? Is that is that kind of how we do this? Well, what is so powerful for me about the video is that rather than picketing outside saying women have rights, women have rights, he simply did what he's really good at. He taught people how to be weightlifters. And it wasn't about are you a woman or a man? It was about do you care about the sport? Do you have potential? And inviting right. people into yes. that and then take creating change through action and then inspiring others who saw something in there for themselves that then drew them into the conversation. So you'd have, you know, a, I remember a scene where a mother is asking about the son. Can my son join? And the girl says, what about me? And he says, sure, come on in if you want. Right. And it's just it's it's about action. Sometimes I feel like we spend too much time, you know, with those signs instead of just showing up and being and doing and those who see themselves in what you be and do will find their way to you you know and and i just love that about about the way this all unfolded it was just really powerful i'll just uh step in and say what you were saying does it take time and time spent together and in my experience it's not even about time it's that that even if it's a short amount of time when you're going through the insane roller coaster of ups and downs emotionally mentally physically that sport represents it actually takes very very little time to create a bond as deep as family just because you see each other through these crazy crazy highs and devastating lows when you don't make a team or you suffer an injury or whatever it might be but sport kind of exists in the extreme so much more than real life, as I call it now that I'm a retired athlete, but it's those extremes that, that forge, I think the strongest bonds and create the community that really does go to bat for you and fight for you and believes in you when you don't believe in yourself and gets you through the, the, the challenging moments of which there are always a ton of in sport. It's, it is not an easy thing to do. And that's why there aren't unlimited Olympians and unlimited world champions, but it's definitely, it definitely does take a community and, and any athlete would tell you that they did not get to a podium alone. They did not get to a championship alone and it's coaches and it's teammates and it's parents and it's siblings and it's a whole roster of support team, you know, therapists and all sorts of things, but it's, it, those, those bonds really forge quick in my experience. And you, you really get to know the, the best and the worst of people quickly. And I think that's what creates that feeling of family that you, you aren't, you are able to be vulnerable because you're not going to disguise who you are in those moments of elation or defeat. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's excellent. Uh, My, my, where did Zabiba go? Uh, Did she, at one point in the film, I think the captain calls her a piece of crap. I believe he's, he's quite upset with her and she says, I know, I know, I know. And she walks away and yet she came back. Um, can you talk a bit about the support around her? I mean, I know you've mentioned it a little bit, but did she have some close friends that she leaned on? Um, I don't, I don't think I saw her on her phone once in this story, which I thought was really, uh, interesting as well. Um, yeah, my, what, what was her, um, who were her support team really? Was it the captain? Well, I think, I mean, Captain Ramadan was, uh, was very supportive to her. And I think, um, you know, because I ask my, myself sometimes, like, um, 
like about the complex relationship that they had and uh, why, like um, how, like how she she never really got upset from him, you know, with him when he when he when he's angry sometimes at her or stuff like that. And I think I think the the main reason is because he was the biggest believer in her, you know, right. and he really like. Uh, he he just believed in her like and 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 let her uh, believe in herself and and realize that she, you know the sky is the limit she can do whatever she wants um and i think and i think that's why or that explains the close relationship she had with him um she was spending all her time in this training site i think she was the most girl that was spending all the time there like we we would go in the morning and she's there we would go in the evening and she's there wow. um and i think the training site gave her what, what, what she couldn't find elsewhere, you know, uh, that, you know, she can, uh, she can be, um, something, you know, or like she, she can, she can pursue her dream and there is someone who believes in her and there's a whole team, uh, who believes in, in her as well. And I, I find what they really do in this training site very fascinating, you know, because the training site is, um, is free. It's open to everyone. Um, so no one is really paid to coach there. Um, so what they do is that uh, the old girls who have more experience train the new ones or the young ones. Um, and, uh, and in that sense, they pay back, you know, um, what this place gave them. Um, and I, I find this really great. Um, like, like you won't really give a place all this uh, time and, 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 um, and effort if, if you don't, if you're not getting something in return, which is, you know, um, which is everything we talked about uh, previously. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Was it an intentional choice for you while filming to see the training space kind of build and grow and, and, you know, the, the, the fence and just all the stru- the struggle that the captain had as he tried to create that community? that kind of community space for, for people. Did you, did you uh, intentionally think that, or was that kind of a, uh, as you were piecing the story together in the editing room, did that bubble to the surface for you? Well, you know, I made um, a decision um, in a very early stage that I really want the training site to be a, a main character in the film and that, you know, that uh, see it uh, growing, you know, uh, the way I want to see Zabiba. Um, and, um, and I remember, you know, back then um, I had like, or some people had uh, doubts about, you know, like even the DP, like, uh, like, do we need to to film the Zabiba in her house or the girls in their school, stuff like that. And I felt that I really want to stay in this training site. And, and because I, I, can, I could see um, what Captain Ramadan uh, has been doing in it and, and you know, after spending some time, I could see that he every day he would add something to it. Um, whether he would plan something, he would paint um, another thing. And um, yeah, and then, you know, we had that all filmed. Um, and then in the editing process, I talked to the editor and we decided that, you know, we um, to have the training side as, as a character and, and try to find an arc to it, you know, a right, dramatic right. arc sure, uh, sure. To, to it. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, in an er- in earlier cuts, sometimes the training site had much more time on screen, um, or like the developments in it, um, because we were really following everything that was going on there, there. And then, you know, in other cuts, 
we would take out, you know, some scenes, and we kept on doing that till we, till we, till we, we found this balance, you know, that um, that we have the training side, but we have Zabiba and we have Captain Ramadan and the relationship between all three um, and the other girls, of course. Well, I, I think it's a brilliant metaphor. I really do. It's the it's the kind of thing a film student would write an essay about. It seems to me, you know, taking a, a piece of the film and and, and really you know, kind of um, exploring it and, and teasing it out. Karen, we, sadly, we're going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. And I can't believe how how quickly the the, the conversation has gone and loving every minute of it. And, and I'm, I'm sure our guests are too. Karen, you've done a lot of work, uh, you know, gender equality expert all over the world. Why are you still hopeful? I'm what? still hopeful. I, I mean, let me give you a very personal answer. The world that my grandmother lived in was one where she had very little rights, very little mobility, very little freedom. Um, my mother had more of that. And look at where I am. Right. So I've seen real change happen in a matter of a lifetime and then multiple lifetimes and generations in our own family. And uh, I see the way I'm raising my children, my son and my two daughters. And I know what's possible. And I know that all it takes is for people to be committed to uh, enabling people to have opportunity and to have um, choice about their lives and their futures. And I continue to believe in that. And I, I, I love all the change I see, the small ones, the big ones, they all matter. Uh, uh, that's great. Love it. Hillary, I'd love to ask you a question. There's a great moment in the film where Zabiba, I think, is wearing a whole lot of medals. Uh, it's really wonderful. It's almost like, oh wow, they're weigh they're weighing her down, right? I mean, that there's a whole other question and metaphor we could explore. But was it ever about the medals only for you? Because I'm I'm interested. Was that the driving force? I got to win, or was it way more layered and nuanced than that? Definitely more layered and nuanced. I think if if you're if you're in sport and you're you've made it as far as you know uh, an elite athlete does you are in it to win. And, and I kind of, I can speak to, I was a bronze medalist at the Olympics and I do, I remember sort of, I have flashbulb moments of that time. And I remember touching the wall and I remember sort of relief that I was on the podium and disappointment that it wasn't a gold medal. And I was in mm. it for a gold medal. And, and I don't think there's anything that compares to standing on the top of the Olympic podium and hearing your anthem and, knowing that you you are the champion and the medal is great um but i think it's about a whole moment sort of a culmination of a lifetime of work it's about representing where you come from and all those people in the communities that we talked about and and that victory can look like a million things and you see certain people where we're just getting to a final or just getting to a podium is the celebration that a gold medal would be. And for some one gold medal is never enough. And, <laughs> and athletes talk a lot about the depression that goes along with being so successful. Cause you, with the mentality of always better, always better, always better comes the, well, what's enough? What's what's worth right. celebrating? So there's so many different layers to it. And I think, yes, it was for me always about results, but you kind of, you can't, you can't be about results without thinking about that process and that journey. Because if you're only ever thinking about the moment in my case that your hand touches the wall or in Zabiba's case, 
the moment, I guess that the, the weight successfully goes above your head, you, you lift that weight, whatever, whatever your moment of success is in sport. If it's only about that, you're never going to see the results that you want. And those will never be enough unless you actually enjoy the whole, the whole process of it. And the day in day out that all days at the training site for me, two times a day in the pool, hours and hours and hours swimming up and down. And it, it does need to be about that too. And you do need to love what you do not every day because you won't love it every day, but as much as you can and you have to find why you're doing it. And the why cannot only be a gold medal or a world record or a new best. It just, it can't be because you're never ever going to find happiness. I think in that it does have to be about a whole lot more than that. And the, the, the result is just the sort of icing on the cake at the end of it, I think. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I mean, the phrase that came to my mind is there's just a whole lot more going on than meets the eye. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, there's layers, there's community, there's, yeah. And again, I think it comes out so beautifully in the film. It's, uh, the film is Lift Like a Girl and uh, my, it, it, the layers are extraordinary. Uh, you must feel a little like you've won a medal. Um, you've got, you've got the film premiering in Cairo, Toronto International Film Festival, I think Doc NYC, the Leipzig Film Festival. Can you tell us a little bit as we as we wrap up our conversation? And I'm really sorry we got to go, but but can you tell us a little bit about what's next for Lift Like a Girl and and maybe for for you? Well, you know, for me, um, I'm very excited to have the film released theatrically. You know, uh, in Egypt and um, in the U.S. and Canada, because then you know the like more audience will will have a chance to to watch it. But I also want to, you know, want to reach out to, to the kind of audience that won't be able to watch the film or, or can't afford uh, to get a movie ticket. Um, and that's why I'm working on an impact campaign to really, you know, um, and working on a, on a shorter version of the film that's child appropriate, you know, 45 minutes that can be used in classrooms, you know, so that we can do school screenings in Egypt and everywhere. Um, so that, you know, so, uh, so that then when we screen the film, we can open uh, a discussion about, you know, about, uh, about gender, about weightlifting, about sports, about all these things. Um, and, and, and especially with, with, with the young Egyptian audience, when they, when they, I, I hope that when they watch, you know, a girl like them or coming from the same background or like, you know, like she can be their sister, she can be their neighbor, um, and then they can see that, oh, she can do it. And, and, and then I hope that the film can inspire them, you know, to pursue their dreams, um, even if they don't have to do, like, if they don't really relate to sports, like, um, they can be, they can think in, in anything they want to do and then just, you know, do it. Um, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. Um, the film is now being screened in, in, uh, in Zawiya, the movie theater in Cairo, and, um, and starting from tomorrow, we're having a series of panels, you know, to, to talk about, um, like, tomorrow we're inviting, like, uh, uh, a selection of uh, female uh, Olympic athletes in Egypt um, who will talk about their journeys. Um, just like, you know, um, it's really like, it's a long, long journey. And, 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 and I want the people, like, or the audience, when they watch the film, that they know that there are a lot of people like just like Zabiba um, and uh, and then another we're also organizing another panel to talk about the psychological challenges uh, facing female athletes and another one about nutrition 
um, oh. because I think there are a lot of things to to tackle, you know. Uh, and I really hope, you know, with the film that I can just um, have all these discussions and and hopefully the film can can create some impact. Yeah, my, my what I love about the film is it's it's narrative. It's obviously cinema verite, I guess uh, you would call it. But it's it's this this we get to look into these lives of people in another part of the world, and we get to be inspired, and we get to be challenged, and we're affirmed and encouraged, and all of those things. So thank you so much for the film, and congratulations again, um, Karen. Where can we find out more about about you and the work that you're doing around the world? Well, thank you for that. And before I talk about me, I just want to, you know, acknowledge all the incredible work that you're doing as a filmmaker, Maya. It's incredible. I mean, the fact that you told a story that a man would have told from a different perspective, that it was the perspective that a woman takes, which is very, incre you know, incredibly different and, and important. Uh, you're breaking your own barriers. And so thank you for that. And to find me, just Google my name on Google and you'll find me. I'm uh, pretty much everywhere on social media, nice. LinkedIn, Instagram and everywhere else. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Hillary, on another interview, perhaps we can talk about your fingernails. I hear there's like a, a I've, I've heard that you you would paint your fingernails before you would go into a race. Is that is that actually true? Is that is that the, the real work on you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think every athlete has their own little rituals. Of course. To make you feel game ready. And uh, <laughs> good, I, good nails were always something. I, I've got some bright ones going on now as well. Nice. Um, That's cool. But that was, that was something, yeah, definitely had to race with some good nails. <laughs> well, what 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 a great time I've had today on Driving Change and, and with you all. And I mean, talk about barely scratching the surface. It's always something. And I think this is my sort of frustration with a great conversation. They're just they just we're just starting. You know, we're just getting out of the gate. And that that's an amazing thing. We've been talking with uh, Maya Zaid, Hillary Caldwell, and Karen Craigs Milne here today about a whole lot of things, uh, but also, uh, more importantly, about the film uh, Lift Like a Girl. Check out the impactseries.net for more information about that. Sign up for Driving Change wherever you listen to podcasts, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me today. What a pleasure uh, and really an honor to have you all on the show. Well, there you have it. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Karen Craig's Milne, my Zaid, and Hillary Caldwell, uh, talking about community and building bonds and relationship and, and about pushing back against the status quo. Don't forget to subscribe to Driving Change uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Google, wherever that might be. Please do subscribe. Share this with your family and friends. Don't forget to learn more about the Impact Series at theimpactseries.net. And if you want to help, if you want to step into this, you can look into the impact campaign around Lift Like a Girl at liftlikeagirl.com. And then uh, don't, don't forget that Lift Like a Girl is going to be in cinemas on July 9th. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Driving Change. Driving Change.